Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're in a series right now called Advance, and we're kind of talking about the name of the series is Advance, but it almost seems backwards because we're talking about surrendering. And when you're thinking about advancing, most of the time you don't think about surrendering. If you're trying to advance, then you're taking ground. But surrender gives this idea of actually giving up ground. But that's how it is in God's kingdom. The way that you advance is through surrender. And this is God's kingdom. And as a Christian, you have to get this in your mind uh, because it's very different than the world system. And Jesus tried to get this in his people. And I hope that uh, I've been getting it in you for the last few weeks because we've been talking about surrender. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, really the whole book of Samuel, we get a picture of two different men. We get a picture of Saul and we get a picture of David. They were both kings. Uh, Saul was first king of Israel. David was the second king of Israel. And we get two different pictures of their hearts. King Saul, his heart, King David, and his heart. Which one uh, pleased God? Which one advanced in the kingdom of God? Which one fell? All of that. So we're going to take a brief look at that this morning. I seriously doubt that I'm going to get through all of it, so it'll probably be two Sundays that we look at this. But uh, I, I'm prepared to go through all of it if you are. I guess it just depends on how hungry you are, if you can make it through lunch or not. But probably it'll just be one, probably it'll be two Sundays. Uh, but First Samuel <clears throat> chapter 13, verse 10. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on here. These these two men. First of all, you got to understand that they were both called by God. In other words. Saul had a call of God on his life. Saul was chosen to be the first king of Israel. How many of you know that God could have chosen David as the first king of Israel? But he didn't. He chose David as the second king of Israel. And there's a reason for that. God always has a reason. He always has a, a plan and a purpose to what he was doing. But he, he chose King Saul. And, and I believe, and I've seen this many times in the kingdom of God, that if the first person would have done it right, there probably wouldn't have been a need for the second person. In other words, God would have used David for something else if Saul had done it right. Had Saul fulfilled the call of God and will of God for his life, then his line would have continued, and we'd be talking about Saul being a man after God's own heart. But it didn't happen like that. So let's just look at what it was about Saul that was different than David. All right. So we're going to see this first instance in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And what's going on, I can't read the whole thing because it just takes up the whole chapter. So you could go back and read it if you want to. Otherwise, I'm going to summarize it and then get to the part that we want to look at. So what's going on up until this point is Saul is being attacked by the Amalekites. Israel is being attacked by the Amalekites. And he had very specific instructions from Samuel. Now, in the Old Testament, the prophet would hear directly from God and he would relay that information to the king. The king typically did not hear directly from God. The prophet heard directly from God and would relay it to the king. It was a balance of power, so to speak. So that you had the king and the prophet. And they both had tremendous power. But not one of them had all the power. So the prophet would hear from God and he would relay it to the king. And then the king had the finances, the authority, the troops to carry out the will of God. So Samuel had given very specific instructions. And by the way... 
when the prophet spoke, there, there was no doubt whether it was God or not. It was as if God had spoken himself. In other words, when the prophet came and gave a word, it was as if you'd heard directly from God. Every word of it. It was very clear. And Samuel had proven himself as that kind of prophet. Saul knew that. So that wasn't in question here. So Saul, uh, Samuel comes. He speaks on behalf of God. He gives him very clear instruction. He says, I want you to completely destroy the Amalekites. He said, this is my judgment. It's, I'm judging the Amalekites. I want you to wipe them out completely. I want all of their livestock, animals, all of it is to be destroyed. Nothing is to be left alive. Those were the instructions from Samuel. And so he's being attacked by the Amalekites, and, and, uh, <clears throat> and he's, he's getting information from Samuel. And one of the things that Samuel had told him was, I'm going to meet you at a certain place. We're going to offer sacrifices, and then we're going to go into this we're going to go into this battle. So in 1 Samuel 13, Samuel is delayed. And Saul has to make a decision. Samuel, Saul doesn't know why Samuel is being delayed. And remember this balance of power that we talked about. The king was not allowed to offer sacrifices. This was the priestly duty. And, and we might hear that and think, well, that's not a big deal. But you got to remember in the Old Testament, there were people killed that fell dead just for touching the ark, the ark of the covenant when they shouldn't have, just just for putting a finger on it, drop drop dead. There was there was a guy that dropped dead because he peeked on the inside of the ark of the covenant. He wanted to know what was on the inside, and he he peeked. I guess the curiosity killed the cat type thing. He opened it, peeked in, and he he dropped dead because God is a holy God and He has a very high standard. And he said, do it this way. And there's no room for disobedience. There's no room for rebellion. There's no room for doing it your own way. So that's where we pick up 1 Samuel 13, 10. Saul decides, he makes the decision that he's going to offer the sacrifice because he doesn't know where Samuel is. And he doesn't know if Samuel's coming. And he doesn't want to face the Amalekites without having offered this sacrifice to God. So as soon as he had finished Offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Now you see, this is Paul's, excuse me, Saul, this is Saul's excuse. And it sounded really good to him and it made sense to him. And it may even sound good to some of you as you hear it. You go, well, that makes sense. The troops are scattering and he don't have a choice. He has to offer it. But you know, our excuses and reasons for not obeying always sound good to us. Our excuses that we tell ourselves of why we sin or why we rebel against God or why we don't change this or why we persist in this way and don't change. There, see, any, any of you that are Christians, any of us that are Christians and we persist in a particular sin or a particular way or a particular problem, if you really look behind it, there is, a, there is an excuse and a reason that's propping that up. And until that excuse is dealt with, you'll just keep going down that direction. Because it's, it's the excuses are really actually self-deception. See, here's what an excuse is. That's why we hate excuses in our children, at least I do. 
Hopefully you do too. We don't tolerate excuses in our kids because when you hear an excuse, say, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. Is that true or is it not true? It's not true. But you're lying to yourself, telling yourself, I can't do that. What you really should say is, I haven't learned how to do that. I haven't put in the work yet to know how to do that. But to say, I can't do that, that's a lie. And it's a, it's a lie that you're believing. It's a lie that you've bought, and you're, you're propping this lie up. And it's an excuse that every time you encounter it, you just tell yourself that lie, and it soothes you. And you feel better as you just bask in that, that lie and that excuse. But every excuse is actually just deception in disguise. That's why in our house, we don't, we don't let our kids say, I can't do that. Now, I don't mind you looking at me saying, I'm too lazy to do that. At least, let's say the truth. But don't tell me you can't do it because that's a lie. At least say, I don't want to put in the work to do that. Or I haven't, I haven't practiced long enough to do that. Or whatever, but don't look at me and say you can't do it because that's a lie. And every excuse generally is a lie. It's just really self-deception. And all of us have them in our lives. We have excuses of why we're not completely surrendered to God in an area. Especially if you're a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, your conscience won't allow you to stay in an area of rebellion. Your conscience won't allow you to stay in an area of sin. So... You have to believe a lie that soothes your conscience. And I, as a pastor, I've heard all of them. I've heard every one. People sit in my office and they say, yeah, I did that, and, and, and here's what happened. Let me, let me just explain what happened. Here's why I did that. And they go through it one after another, and I've heard every one. And, and some of them repeat themselves often. Totally different couple, totally different person, totally different situation, totally different year. Same excuse. Why? Because really there's a root to all of them. It comes from Satan. It's a, self -dece it's a deception that comes in. And he tells, well, it's okay if you do this because your situation is different. And, and that thing that's happened to you, and here's the reasons why. And so you believe them, you buy them, and you go, well, here's why I do that. Or here's why I'm not yielded to God in this area. Or here's why I haven't surrendered to God in that area. And here's what you need to recognize. The, the flesh whether it's your own flesh or whether it's Satan, they're both very deceptive. And they're constantly working to deceive you to believing lies so that you will act in a sinful, rebellious way. And this is no different with Saul. Saul is here and he begins to do self-talk. He's here and he knows what he's supposed to do. That's not in question. He has very clear instruction from Samuel, very clear, knows what he's supposed to do. And then the self-talk begins. Well, people are leaving. People are scattering. Well, maybe I can just offer this sacrifice. Probably ain't nothing wrong with me offering. I mean, Samuel ain't no better than me. Really, what's the problem if I offer the sacrifice? I'm sure God will understand. And he begins this whole self-talk thing until he talks himself right into rebellion. And he talks himself right into, or I should say right out of, right fellowship with God. You could say he talks himself right out of the kingdom because that's what he ends up losing as a result. So our excuses and reasons for not obeying or for sinning or not surrendering to God, they always sound good to us. This, this is why if you've ever had an excuse that, that you were believing and you were following or why you were doing something wrong and then somebody ever asked you about it and you had to try to explain it to them, you felt so silly. 
because it sounded really good in here. But then when I had to give that same excuse and same reason to somebody who I know is a very clear, level-headed thinker, I'm like, it sounds so dumb coming out. Why? Because it was a lie all along. And you knew it was a lie, and it only sounded good in here. And once you had to explain it to somebody else on the outside, you realized how stupid it was. But that's what, that's how it works. Why does it work like that? Because Satan can't make you sin. See, you, you actually have a will, and you're in control of your life. And the only way that Satan can get you to sin is by deceiving you, tricking you into the choice of it. He can't actually make you do anything. He can tempt you. He can offer it. He can get you starting to think wrong about it. But he can't make you do it. So the only thing he can do is deceive you, trick you, plant thoughts in your mind until you actually are the one who chooses your own destruction. Interesting thing here for, for Saul is that he compromised in his mind. Now think about this. In his mind, he compromised in order to save the kingdom. That's, his, that's what he's doing. But it was actually his compromise that cost him the kingdom. The thing that he was trying to save, he lost through the compromise. You had, I'm telling, you had to go home and think about that one for a while because we do that in our own lives. See, we, we, he told himself this excuse, well, I have to do this because, look, people are scattering and I'm going to be defeated and I'm going to lose the kingdom. That was the fear that he was believing. So he compromised, right? He, he went away from God, but then it was that compromise and that going away from God that actually disqualified him before God, and that's what lost him the kingdom. What would have happened if Saul had said, you know what, I'd rather lose everything than disobey God. And if obeying God costs me the kingdom, so be it. It ain't that important to me anyway. What's important to me is obeying God. And I'm going to follow that, and I'm going to follow God closely, and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. And if I lose everything, I'll still be right with God, and that's really the only thing that matters to me. What would have happened? Well, God would have came through for him, and he would have stayed, he would have stayed in that seat. Now, let's look at Saul, but let's look at ourselves. How, how many times in our life have we compromised? How many times in our life have we allowed sin to hang around, rebellion to hang around, not yielding to God, not surrendering to God for whatever reason or excuse we have? And again, I've heard them all. But actually, that's the, that's the thing that ends up costing us everything. That's the thing that ends up costing us everything. And it's like, why are we, why are we sinning? Why are we rebelling. Why are we not surrendering? Well, we're after something. I mean, we're after our own pleasure. We're after our own happiness. We're after our own joy. And it's through that compromise you end up losing all that anyway because the sin eventually has consequences that bring death and destruction in our life. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. So it, it always comes home to roost. So you're, you're compromising and you're sinning and you're not yielding and you're not surrendering to God because you're after something, but you don't realize that by yielding and, and not surrendering to God, that you're going to lose the very thing you're after. And that if you would just yield to God, and you would just surrender to God, and you would follow God, you're going to get what you're really after, which is peace. He promises all of it. Peace, joy, fulfillment, Zoe life. It's all in Christ. But you have to surrender to God. God. 
Verse 13. Saul gives his reasons and his explanations to Samuel. And again, I'm sure just like us, when he began to explain it to Samuel, and Samuel's looking at him with those eyes of fire, (laughs) you know, it just sounds so foolish coming out, and he's probably stumbling over his words. Even though the Bible says Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody else, and Samuel's probably looking up at him like this, (laughs) and Saul's looking down at him like this. Because he knew. He knew he was wrong. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. You see, that was God's plan for Saul. Surrendering to God would have led to this. For then God would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Let me tell you something about this. Sometimes we read things like this and we think, man, one mistake and it just cost him everything. That is not the full story. Saul... This wasn't a one-time mistake for Saul. That's always how it looks when you see the consequences come crashing down. But actually, this is a pattern of behavior that you see. And actually, this isn't the only instance. We're going to read about another one in just a minute. But this is how this works, is when you are not surrendered to God and when you are not yielded to God, typically, when you begin to go down that path, it doesn't cost you anything immediately. You, you, you live that life for a while, and actually it, it tends to embolden people because they go, well, I knew this was wrong and I did it, or I've persisted in this way for several years and I haven't gotten caught, or it hasn't been any issue, and you just keep going down that way. And then it's when you least expect it, those consequences come crashing down like a flood and just smack you in the face, and you just, you just left dumbfounded. And a lot of people walking around go, oh, man, look at that, just... It just almost overnight that happened. It didn't happen overnight. That character had been in them, and it had been building for a long time. And if I know anything about God, he'd been working with them about repenting, turning, yielding, surrendering for a long time. But after so long of keeping those those habits and not yielding, not surrendering to God, eventually those consequences come home, and they'll tear a person's life apart. I've seen it many times. I know you have. So, what we're seeing here with Saul is we're seeing a person who is in charge of his own life. See, he's a, a follower of God in name, but when the rubber meets the road, Saul's in charge. And I've known a lot of people like this, maybe you have too, uh, hopefully not a whole lot of people like that this morning in here, but... I've known a lot of people like that, that they have a title, they have a label, God's in charge, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, I follow God. But when the rubber meets the road, they are in charge of their own life. They're not surrendered to God. God's not in charge of their decisions. God's not in charge of their finances. God's not in charge of their time. God's not in charge of their schedule. God's not in charge of their habits. God's not in charge. They are in charge. And you will always reap the consequences 
of that. Actually, either way. So if, if Saul had been surrendered to God, truly surrendered to God, then when he, when he encountered this situation, he would have said, well, losing the kingdom and all of that, that's very important to me. But actually, the kingdom's not my master. God is my master. And I'm okay with surrendering to him if I lose everything. But see, in this moment, we find out who Saul's real master is. In this moment, we find out that actually the kingdom and his own fame and his own reputation and his own power, that is his, that is his master, not God. And many people would like to think that they are master in their own life. But really, none of us are... Even if you don't yield to God, even if you don't surrender to God, you're going you're gonna to surrender to something. If you look in people's lives, there is something that is controlling them. There is something they are serving. Don't make me start singing the old Bob Dylan song, You're Going to Have to Serve Somebody. You know, y'all know that song? It might be the devil... It might be the law, but you're going to have to serve. Y'all know that one, right? I could really sing it, but I don't you know. Right. But it's true. And, and his point in that song, and he, Bob Dylan learned that, song, learned that lesson his own self. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You, you might think, well, I'm not going to serve God. Well, that's fine, but you're going to serve something. You're going to serve your own sin. You're going to serve your own appetites. You're going to serve pleasure. You're going to serve money. You're going to serve something. And that thing will end up controlling your life and dictating what happens. And here's what you're going to find out is that God is the only good master. He's the only one that actually has your best interest in mind, and all of these other things will eventually turn on you and bite you, and you'll reap the consequences of following that way. And so God, in his love, constantly offers an alternative. He says, listen, if you're going to serve something, you might as well serve me, because I have your best interest in mind. I'm a good God. I'm a loving God. This is why he presented the opportunity before the children of Israel. He said, look, I lay it out before you this day. Who do you, you want to serve? pick life or death. I'm even telling you in advance that the, this path, the end of it is death. But if you want to persist in that way anyway, then you're going to reap the consequences of it. And, and listen, I don't care what you think or believe and you go, well, I've, done this, I've lived this way for years and I haven't experienced that. That's fine. Hey, guess what? You may go your whole life and not experience those consequences. But you, like everyone else, are going to stand before your judge and you will give an answer for your life. And it doesn't matter whether you believed it or not. You're going to stand before God and give an answer for your life. And that's why it's so important to surrender to God. Now, he loves you. And he has your best interest in mind. See, there were, there were moments in Saul's life where he could have surrendered and built a pattern of surrender. Now, what you see with David is God began to build this pattern in David way before he was king. When he was just a shepherd, God began to build in him this habit of surrender, this habit of following God, this habit of putting God first, so that when he became king, he was ready. Saul, his character had not been developed. You know, there were many times, and I, and I have to use my own self as an example, because uh, I, I know all my stories, and I don't necessarily know yours, but there were, there were times in the ministry where I thought that my obedience might cost me the ministry or, or could cost me the ministry. In other words, there, there are certain things that we've had to talk about, preach about, 
say that I'm like, well, this may not be good for the ministry to say this, to talk about this topic, to address this issue. There, there are many decisions throughout the ministry that actually are not in the best interest of growing the ministry. They're, they're just in obedience and service to God. And so I don't, we don't worry about the ministry. And you may have had your, things like that in your own life that sometimes being a person of character and a, a person of truth and a Christian may not be the thing that's the best for your job promotion or moving up the corporate ladder. And you have to take a stand and go, no, this is right. I'm going to do this. And well, that's not in the best interest of your growth at the company. But what are you surrendered to? Who are you yielded to? What is your master? And see, it's in those little things that you think nobody is seeing and that nobody's watching that God is watching. And it tells him who you are surrendered to and who you are yielded to. So the second instance with Saul is a couple chapters later, 1 Samuel 15, verse 10. Again, I'm going to summarize the story a little bit. I already told you some of it. God is going to bring judgment on the Amalekites, and he tells Saul, I want you to wipe everything out. No people left, no animals left, nothing left. And, and on that, let me ask you this question. Does God actually need Saul to execute his judgment on the Amalekites? I mean, if I, all you got to do is think about Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't really need Saul to execute his judgment on the Amalekites. He could, he could judge the Amalekites without Saul, right? But he's trying to figure out something about Saul. He's looking at Saul's heart. He's giving Saul an opportunity. Can you obey me? Can you follow me? Can you get clear instruction and do what I tell you to do? Can you listen? How many of you, without raising your hands, how many of you are business owners, or you have employees that are under you. you know, lots of people in here, probably. I've talked to many of you. Okay, you have employees under you, and how many of you will take somebody that will just listen and follow instructions <laughs> almost all day, every day, over somebody who's super talented but won't do what you tell them to do? <laughs> right? Someone that knows it all. And really, you could look at them and go, man, they're way gifted than this guy, but at least this guy will just follow instructions and do what I, what I tell him to do. God's not much different than that. He doesn't need super gifted, super powerful people with tons of ability in his kingdom. He just needs people that'll listen. And he needs people that'll follow instruction. He needs people that when, when I say do this, you go, yes, sir, no questions asked. I'm ready. Whatever you want. And God will use that person every time. If you get anything out of reading the Bible, you ought to get that. God will use that person every time over somebody who cannot listen, but they're super gifted, super talented. Sometimes we get impressed with our own, you know, skills and our own ability and our own self. And God is like, there's, there's a thousand more like you. You're not impressive. That's not what's impressive. And I created you anyway. And anything you have, I gave to you in the first place. You're not that great. I'm great, and I made you. <laughs> but I can make you great, and I can use you greatly in the kingdom if you'll just yield and surrender to me. 
So 1 Samuel 15, Saul doesn't do it. He gets the instructions. He, he knows what to do. He has the clear instruction. Again, you see this is a pattern in his life. Not a one-time thing. This is a character flaw. He doesn't do it, and he has his reasons. He has the reasons that propped it up, that made it okay. He's got something in him that he knows what God said, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to change it. I'm going to do it like this, and here's why, and I I know God's going to understand, and I know Samuel's going to understand. But guess what? God and Samuel didn't understand. They didn't understand. You should have done what I said. You should have just done what I said. And I'm, I'm, I'm focusing in on that and I'm pointing in on that because I know Christians and I know I've heard these reasons and I've heard these excuses so many times I could almost say them before they say them to me. I know the reasons why people continue in their, their sin. And it usually never is here. It's always out here. It's someone else. It's something else. It's pointing the finger at someone else. There's, there's a reason why I did this or why I'm this way or why I acted this way or why I can't get rid of this. It's, it's always outward. And you're going to see this same thing in Saul. Saul doesn't do what God tells him to do. So the word of the Lord, verse 10, 1 Samuel 15, 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. This this right here is just a pound-your-forehead moment. Saul, how could you be so far off of how God felt about you? Saul is so happy with himself. He's so proud of himself after not obeying the Lord. He's in so much deception, he's so self-deceived, that after disobeying God, he thinks he's done so well, he goes and he sets up a monument for himself, King Saul the righteous, King Saul the holy, King Saul the virtuous. That's how he's seeing himself. You ever met anybody like that? (laughs) They are huge in their own eyes. Saul was like that. Now, what's reality? God is mad. Samuel is mad. And they've rejected Saul. Saul, Saul's already lost everything and doesn't know it. Saul has already lost the whole kingdom. He's over there setting up monuments to himself. That's how far off he is. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel... And behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. I wonder how many of us that God's view doesn't match your own view of yourself. Saul thought, I'm way up here. God said, no, you're way down here. I wonder in our own lives how many times our view of ourselves doesn't match God's view. Because it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Everybody else can be patting you on the back. You are awesome. You are great. You are fantastic. There is no one like you. You are an amazing human being. But then there's God's view of you. 
And God's view is right, and God's view is correct. Human view is only partial. It only sees the best part. It only sees the, the, the Instagram, social media part. It only sees the snapshots of the best moments. But God sees everything. And so God's view of you is correct and, and is perfect. So Saul's view of himself did not match God's view. So he meets Samuel, verse 13. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? In other words, you're telling me this, but I can hear the reality. I can, I can look and see the reality. You can't for some reason. You, you can't see the reality of that your, the facts of your disobedience are staring me in the face. You think it's all wonderful. He said, if you've obeyed God so completely, what is the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? You ever met someone that they're just so disconnected from reality that they will argue against all logic and facts? Even when presented with logic and facts, they just they just argue, and you're just left going, I, I just presented everything to you. I have nothing left because you're still arguing with this. Sometimes people are like that usually when they're deceived. They're so deceived that they're immune to logic and facts. So Saul is this way. He, Paul, Saul, Samuel tells him all the facts. He says, no, you didn't obey God. You didn't obey God. I, I see the sheep and the oxen. Notice verse 15. This is very telling about Saul, and I should say people like Saul. Because, yeah, we're talking about Saul, but this is a lot bigger than just Saul. This is for us to look at ourselves. Saul said, verse 15, They, notice, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. So notice when they were disobeying God, it was they. But when it came to the, to the devoting to destruction, the obedience part, now it's we. They kept the oxen, but we devoted to destruction. So now he includes himself in that part. Here's the reality. You're king. You're in charge. You're responsible. Quit blaming other people. That's really the issue here. They have brought them. They the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. By the way, when the Lord ever has a problem with me, that's exactly where I go as well. I go, God, it's those church people you gave me. They, it's all, they're just so many problems and issues and nothing to do with me. They have brought them. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord. The rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. He may have slapped him. I don't know if he slapped him. I, I wish he would have. Just stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. In other words, I'm hearing your mess, but I've got what God told me in the other ear. All I hear from you is this, but I know how God views this and has already spoken about it. He said, I'll tell you what God said to me last night. And Saul said, speak. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of the Israel? In other words, quit blaming the people. You're the head. You're the king. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. 
And the Lord sent you on a mission. And he said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Remember, Saul was setting up monuments. He didn't think what he did was evil in the sight of the Lord because he lied to himself. And he created deception. He didn't consider it evil. He thought God was going to be proud of him. Why did you pounce on the spoil? And why did you do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek. And I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil. Sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said these powerful words. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, you're, you're saying, which isn't true, we all know it's not true. You're saying you did this for God. You're saying you did this because you intended to use the sheep and the oxen as an as a offering in the sacrifice to the Lord. The Lord didn't want an offering or a sacrifice to the Lord. The Lord had proclaimed judgment. And he said, do it this way. And you did it your own way. You didn't listen. You weren't yielded. You weren't surrendered. You didn't listen. So does the Lord have his great delight in your offerings or your sacrifices and those things? Or just in obeying what he said to do? And then this powerful phrase that maybe you've heard so many times. He said, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Boy, I'd love for us just to be a church full of people that knew how to obey and knew how to listen. Just know how to obey God. Have the strength, the courage, the character to obey God when we hear, when we see it in his word. When we see and recognize sin in our own life. When we see and recognize rebellion in our own lives. Just to have the, the love for God and the courage to obey and to listen. Because Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Let me, let me apply it. More to our normal situation. To obey and to listen to God is better than coming to church. To obey and listen to God is better than singing loudly and lifting your hands. Are those things good? Yeah, they're not better than obeying and listening to God. To obey and listen to God is better than giving large sums of money and, and financial and charity and those kinds of things. See, people do those things, but then don't obey God. A lot of people will come to church on Sunday. They'll worship. They'll hear a sermon. They'll, they'll do the sacrifice and that part. But then when they go out in their daily lives, they're not yielded to God. They're not surrendered to God in their daily life choices, habits, and lifestyles. And this phrase applies. He said, I'm glad you came to church. I'm glad you came to worship. I'm glad you paid your tithes. He said, but guess what? Obedience and listening is better than sacrifice. 
and it's better than acts of worship. And actually, what makes worship mean something is when your life is yielded and surrendered to God. The, the worship is false. The worship is fake if your life is not surrendered to God. If you come in here and sing about being surrendered to God, you know the old hymn, I surrender all. You come in here and you sing about surrender you come in, we come in here and sing about being yielded to God, and so we worship, but then we go out and live our own lives not yielded and not surrendered to God. The worship doesn't mean anything. The, the worship is false. The worship is, the worship is fake. The Bible says the worship is hypocritical. So it's very important that our lives align with our worship. If we're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to come into the temple of God, and we're going we're gonna to be faithful to Him on Sunday at this time, how many of you know that all of our lives have to match that? All of our lives have to match. Not just the Sunday morning from you know, 10 to 11.30. Our whole lives have to be surrendered to God. Our whole lives have to be yielded to God. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, man, I feel like you hit me with a hammer this morning. and I'm, This is rough. Well, I actually don't want it to be rough. What, what I want is... I want for us to just wake up and make an adjustment. I'm not, I'm not interested in getting up here and beating people down with the Word of God, making people feel horrible about themselves. That's not it at all. But sometimes we're so in a stupor and we're so self-deceived that without a little, you know, wake up, then we just keep going on like a zombie, just, you know, just in a daze, like just going ahead. And we think everything's okay until we have somebody say, hey, this isn't okay. But here's the good news. You can repent. You might be a Saul this morning, but you can repent and become a David. Anybody can. You can repent. You can turn from God. You can yield to God. You can surrender to God this morning. And as we've been talking about, if, that, if that's a step you take this morning, praise God for it. But it's got to mean something Monday morning when you wake up. It's got to mean something the every day that follows that. Amen. So Samuel said, Saul, you got all these excuses, but has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the fat of rams. That was part of the sacrifice. That was the best part of the sacrifice. And he continues, verse 23, For rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. It's interesting that he calls it idolatry. Why? Because, well, when you obey your own way instead of God's, really you're king, really you're God in your life. So he says that's idolatry. When you choose your way over mine, you're God in your life, not me. So he says it's idolatry. Saul makes, you know, some more excuses. Then verse 28, And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Again, remember, this was not God's will and plan for Saul. This is not what he wanted. And here's, here's what I'm imploring you with this morning. 
There are those of us in here this morning that are in every part of this process. Some of us are so far from God, we're not the least bit surrendered to God. I, I, you might be even thinking, I don't even know why I came to church this morning. You're all the way on this end, not surrendered to God one bit. Some of you are in, on that fence and you're going, I'm kind of surrendered to God, but I'm also surrendered to self a lot, a lot more than I want to. And it's a battle going on. Some of you are right there on the edge. And you need, to just, you need to just push on over and say, you know what? I'm letting go of everything. I'm so tired of living for myself. I am surrendering everything to God. I'm going to trust him 100%. Anything I see he says do, I'm going to do it. I'm not compromising anymore. I want to be yielded and 100% surrendered to God. And, and whatever place you find yourself in this morning, I want you to know that God's plans for you are good. God's plans for you are restoration. God's plan for you is forgiveness, redemption. It doesn't matter where you're at. You can repent and you can begin to turn towards God. Some of you could do it all in one morning. Just lay it all down. Some of you need to just move the needle a little bit. But here's what I know. Every time that I've ever come to God wrong and, and you know, in sin or what, I can come to God. And I always find love, forgiveness, acceptance. I never find rejection. I never find condemnation. Oh, yeah, he may show me a few things about my life that aren't right. But I always want to turn to God to repent and to surrender to him. Let's stand on our feet this morning.